1 Corinthians chapter 9, we start off here in verse 1. We're going to take the first 14 verses, and you'll see that the title is Apostleship Authority with Love. If you remember last week, if you were with us, it was called Christian Liberty with Love, because in chapter 8, we saw that Paul was exhorting the Corinthian Christians over a question or a problem that they were having that was written in a letter that we do not have, um, but we see Paul is addressing these questions in each of these chapters, starting with chapter 7 and now into 8, and then we see in 8, 9, 10 a different subject. And last week we saw that they had a challenge and a question for Paul regarding the sacrifice that was taking place at the temples, and they were sacrificing this meat for these false idols, these false gods, and the Christians had a division within the camp, within the church, saying, can we eat this meat that came from the sacrifice to these idols, or can we not? And Paul came across and made sure they understand a couple of key points. One is the fact that, yes, it's just meat, and yes, you can partake of that meat because there's a Idols are nothing. They're, they're false. They're just made up in darkness of the minds of people. And they're just, you don't have to worry about eating that meat. Yes, it's cheaper at the market. Yes, you're at that temple of restaurant and you want to eat. And, and you find out it was, the same meat was sacrificed to idols earlier. And you have a struggle with that. Just know you have freedom, a Christian liberty to eat of that meat. But he also saw, we saw at the end of chapter 8, if you're a believer that has a, a challenge or a conscious thing that says, I'm just not going to eat that meat because it was sacrificed to an idol. I'm not touching, no touchy. Then guess what? Then don't touch it. If the Lord, your conscious and, and your position is you don't want to touch it, then those who have the freedom and understand that they have freedom in Christianity to be able to partake of it, for the sake of those who say you can't, just don't touch it. Don't eat the meat. Be a vegetarian around them. Don't, don't eat the meat if it's going to cause them to stumble. It's better out of love to, to set back and give up your right or freedom of your Christian liberty for the sake of another brother or sister who's weak and they don't underst fully understand their freedoms uh, that you have in Christ. So just back away and just keep it easy and, and don't eat the meat. It's okay. You'll get over it. You're not going to starve. You'll be fine. Well, that continues here in verses in chapters 9 and 10. But in chapter 9, we're seeing that Paul is going to use him as an example of what he was just teaching about Christian liberties with love, meaning taking the time to back away from your freedom that you know you have in Christ for the sake of others so you don't stumble them. And Paul's going to use himself as a perfect example of where he's choosing to do something, even though that he has the right he chooses not to move forward with that right for the stake of not stumbling or causing a problem within the church. So last week, a problem. Things offered to idols can eat or not eat it. But we also saw that Paul talked about knowledge and how people will be coming puffed up. Knowledge is, just puffs people up. And if it's just knowledge, then your head will swell and you think you know more than everybody else. And that gets twisted into legalism and all kinds of issues. You have to be very careful of those who are puffed up with knowledge. But there was no love. And then he also says, if you get puffed up and get all this around idols and, and, and getting wrapped up to the idols and the things sacrificed with that, remember, idols are nothing. Just don't worry about that. Just move on. Keep your eyes on Jesus. 
But he also hit a third point last week, and that was food. It's okay to eat food. It's, it's good to eat food. But just don't let it, food become a stumbling block or a division between brothers and sisters. That should not happen. But Paul did warn, and we need to take that warning, that whatever we do and as we walk as a Christian and we walk in our Christian liberties, we must do that for the love of others. For God is love. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. God, God is love. And we must keep and filter all things that we say and do from a love perspective because we do not want to stumble anybody in how we walk with Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1, we see Paul starts off with four questions. Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? In verse 2, if I am not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. So remember the context here. The context that Paul is talking about to the Corinthian Christians is about their right based on knowledge. To eat meat, sacrifice to idols in that temple restaurant or when you went to that brother or sister's house and they were serving meat that they bought at the market at a cheaper price, but it was good meat and they found out that it was the meat that was sacrificed to idols and now you're having a struggle. You're at their house, you're ready to have dinner and you find that out, can I eat that meat or not? When you're in those struggles, understand that based on the knowledge that idols are nothing, that it's food is good to eat and that the knowledge that you understand with that is, that is founded on truth of the love of God and understand that you have the Christian liberties, yes, you can eat that meat. But that's the context that he's going to bring to light here with these four questions that he's asking these Christians in Corinth. But Paul will ask them to go, to let go of their freedom or let go of their right to eat that sacrificed uh, meat to idols because of the fact that it was going to put them in a position of a division within the church. So as we take a look at these four questions, the very first question he asks is, am I not an apostle? Of course Paul was an apostle. There was no question that he was an apostle, even though some of the Christian, uh, uh, Corinthian Christians were questioning him if he's an apostle based on this one problem, and that is the fact that he was not being supported or was not receiving money to, for as, a, as an apostle, as he was feeding and teaching within the church. They, he was, he was, we're going to find that he chose to restrain from taking any money so that he would not be blamed by anyone, that he was just receiving money from them just to get the money. So he was choosing, as we will see, I don't need the money. I'm here to freely give and to serve you, and I don't want the money to be a hindering or a block between you receiving what the Lord has for you. So as he's, as because he's taking that step of freedom, of course he's an apostle. We see this, this word apostle 81 times in the New Testament. It means a messenger or one sent out or one sent under commission by the Lord. And we see three kinds of apostles in the scripture. The first time we see is sent out by God. Who was sent out by God? But Jesus Christ himself. Hebrews 3, ver, uh, chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, 
Consider the apostle, capital A, and the high priest of, of our confession, Jesus Christ. So the very first apostle-like person who was sent out, or a, a like commission to go out and to lay the foundation, was God the Father sending his only begotten son. He was the very first. He was the example that set us for us all to understand. What's the second apostle we see in Scripture? We see that it was sent out by Jesus himself. And we, that's who we refer to all the time, the 12 apostles. We see that it's being sent out by Jesus in Matthew chapter 10. But the third area of, of we see of about apostleship is it's sent out by the Holy Spirit, which is you and I. The Holy Spirit sends you and I out to share the good news, to lay the foundation of the truths of God into this community. And you go back to Galatians 1.19, Romans 1.5, and Acts 14 to see that. So here Paul has been sent out. The evidence of Paul's true status as an apostle is shown in the following statements when he says, I am, I am, I am. Am I not free? Which means I am not under the authority to anyone but Jesus Christ. He sent me out. And I'm commissioned by Jesus to do that. And because of that, I am free to be able to do what God, uh, Jesus Christ has asked me to do. And the next question, he says, have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Now, as, as you know, it's one of the qualifications or uh, sense of, of of apostleship that we talk about the 12 apostles is that one of those qualifications for being an apostle is a personal experience of seeing the resurrected Christ. And we see that in Acts chapter 1 verses 21 and 22. Now Paul ins insisted very clearly that he saw Jesus. It wasn't a vision. It wasn't just some experience. But he saw Jesus on the road to Damascus, if you remember, in Acts chapter 9 verses 1 through 9. But he was specifically commissioned as an apostle in Acts 26, verses 12 through 18. And he understood, he knew, and he saw clearly what his mission was uh, of, uh, by Jesus of sending him out. To lay that foundation into this lost world. Now some today, because of visions, they get wrapped up in visions, and because they get wrapped up in experience and feelings, many times they claim to have had or claim to be an apostle level like Paul. But seeing the resurrected Jesus is not the only qualification of a true apostle. So the next thing question Paul asks to them is, are you not my work in the Lord? He says, to the Corinthian Christians, wait a minute, of all people, you know that I'm an apostle. You're the fruit of the ministry. God sent me to you. I laid the foundation there. The church was started there. You see the fruit. You see your lives were changed. There's fruit that came from that. Of all people, you should know my work. You should see the credentials that, yes, you know that I was an apostle. Hebrews 2.4 2, 4 says the apostles also were given the ability to perform special signs and wonders to attest the message that they preached. In 2 Corinthians 12.12, 12, the Corinthian Christians had more reason than most to know that Paul was a genuine apostle because they had seen his work up close and personal. 
So there was no question, but he was establishing his apostle authority of why he's saying what he's about to say based on also what he just said in chapter 8, that you're free. Your Christian liberty gives you freedom in these things, and just make sure you do it in love. And that it's okay for you to walk away from those liberty for the sake of not stumbling another. Now we'll see in the remaining of these, the rest of these up to verse 14, that he gives five confirmations for you and I to see, or what he gives to them to understand why he has that apostleship authority with love of why he is positioned that he takes in regards to receiving financial support from the church. He starts in verse 3, he says, my defense. Well, that tells you right there. Someone's coming against him or making accusation. I'm coming to my defense, right? He says, my defense to those who examine me in this. So remember, we don't, we, we don't judge non-believers. God judges non-believers. But as believers, we're fruit inspectors and we're to judge. We're to look at their lives. Or in, he's, in this case, he says, you guys are examining me. You're watching my life. You're seeing what kind of fruit's coming from my life. And one of the things you're questioning is why I'm doing what I do and what I don't do. So let me make this clear to you in my defense. And he says, do we have no right to eat and drink? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife, as do also the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? So the very first confirmation that he has that apostleship authority and that he's doing what he does in love for the sake of the ministry, or for the sake of believers, he, the first confirmation is that he has that apostleship authority. The words here, the words defense and examine, are two legal terms that comes from the Roman law. So he's in his defense, he's going to use the law or terms from the Roman law that they would have understood in Corinth. And he says with these words, Paul is basically feeling he's on trial here. He's being condemned by these Corinthian Christians for the position he takes. And in, in his defense, he says to him, do we not have, do we not have no right to eat and drink? Now, the Corinthian Christians are not telling him that he has to starve. <laughs> not, that's not what he's, they're saying to him. Or what he's referring back to him. It wasn't that they, they were questioning Paul's right to eat, but Paul means that he would had, has the right to eat and drink at the expense of the churches he served. He had all rights in the position that he holds as an apostleship authority to receive um, Food or money, back then it was mostly, they were given food to the people in that position to be able to be able to provide for himself and for his family. We call it the tithe. We call it an offering. And it's to, to provide to those who are feeding the flock, those who spiritually feed into the lives of the people who were listening. So he's asking the question, don't I have any right to be able to eat? I mean, you to provide my food and drink for me to survive? To do what I do? Paul makes it clear that he has the right to be supported financially by the church. Galatians 6.6 6 says, Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. The first fruits that comes to God. And through that tithe, that gift, that offerings, 
that is used to provide for those who teach you. Romans 15, 27. It pleased them indeed that they are their debtors, for if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things, to provide financially for them who help them spiritually. But Paul, like all apostles, also had the right to take along a believing wife. Now, Paul was single at this point. We do not know by Scripture if, how you know, he was once, we believe, was once married because he was a leader in the, the, uh, the uh, highest of courts, of the religious courts. They had to be married to be able to do that in the, in the, the Sadducees. But whatever reason be that once he got saved on the road to Damascus that she left him, or that she died and now he's, he's single. Either case, we know by in chapter 7 and 8 that he talks and references the fact that he is single. But he brings up the fact that if, if you don't we have a right to, to, to bring along a believing wife? I like the fact that he emphasized a believing wife. <laughs> Not a non-believing wife, okay, you guys? It's a believing wife. And again, see, the Corinthians would not mind him taking along a wife. Why? Because we see in the scripture here that he highlights that the other apostles are married and their wives are traveling with them and the church are providing for both him and his wife and their wives. So this was not uncommon. This was the right thing to do to provide. So you don't provide just for the minister. You provide for the minister's family to make sure as they bring their wife with them. Because God has brought them a helper. That helper is to come alongside them to help them in the ministry. I am a blessed man that I have a believing wife who comes alongside and helps me in the ministry so I can do more for the ministry because I have a believing wife who comes alongside me and ministers with me. You can have a wife who is your ministry and you spend all your life ministering to her because she needs it. Or you can have a wife who ministers with you and you plow together and you work together alongside to do great things for the kingdom. And so if you have a wife, you could, the church should be providing financially for that wife as well as with the, uh, the ministry. That's what a uh, minister with that Paul is saying here. Now, it's interesting, in the scripture, I like the fact that Paul highlights Cephas. Who's Cephas? That's Peter. Now, the Roman Catholic Church today believes still that the very first pope was Peter. Now, it's interesting that they believe that the principle and the mandatory celibacy to be a priest, you must be Single. Well, it's very clear in the scriptures we know that Peter was married. He wasn't celibate. And that he was married, and that, so that kind of puts a little bit of a clarity of those teaching that Peter was celibate and was not married. The scripture is very clear that he was. But he highlights there in this last part of that verse is, but or is it only Barnabas and I that doesn't get supported by the church? Why is all the other apostles getting supported? including their wife. But Barnabas and I are not. We can see that you do. But Barnabas and Paul, of all the apostles, made a choice. 
they made a choice to continue to work to provide for themselves and their families. They chose to work. They chose not only to work to provide for them, their families, but also they used that money that they raised to actually support the church that they were, the churches that they were serving. So that no one could accuse them of preaching for a money motive. And we saw that in Acts chapter 18, verse 3. That's why they did it. Even though they had the right, the freedom, the apostleship authority to receive from believers to support them. Now, we might think this would make Paul and Barnabas more respected in the sight of the Corinthian Christians. But interesting, because of their position that we're going to continue to have a secular job, in this case, making tents and, and, and doing leather work and the things that the trade that he had, you would think that people would honor that and be, go, oh, wow, this is great that, that uh, the, the minister, the, you know, these apostles are, are out there working and, and not taking advantage of us and coming alongside us or just like us and, and working aside. But unfortunately, the Corinthian Christians actually used this against Paul and Barnabas. They said, that, well, you're not a real apostle then if you don't just completely devote your 100% of your time to the word. Then you must not be apostles. You're not like the other apostles. We would have support you if you'd be like the other apostles. But Paul is saying to them, Yes, I have that right to be received from you, but I have chosen, I have the right to devote his time to doing and working, doing tents for the sake of providing for me, to provide for others in the ministry so that they can come alongside and serve with me in the ministry. I make enough money to even help others to be able to be in the ministry with me. But I have the right to do that because it's Christian liberty. I'm free to do that. Now, what's interesting, they were using it against Barnabas and Paul. But he's trying to emphasize the point or make confirmation that he has the right to be able to do what he's doing. Now, he moves on to his second confirmation. The second confirmation is common sense. Verse 7, he says, Whoever goes to war at his own expense. Who goes to war at his own expense? What soldier goes to war and he pays for the whole deal himself? Who buys his own tank? Who buys his own big, gang, big guns? Doesn't the army provide the money, the, the salary in them to be able to go to war? Don't they provide the food out there? Yes, those good MRE, what, MRIs, what are they, MREs, what are they, what are they called now? MREs? Food rations, whatever. Back in my days, it's a whole nother term compared to today. Those great, MREs. huh? MREs. MREs, right? Do they not provide for a soldier? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit? What farmer goes out and spends time working, laboring, time after time after time, season after season, and not partake of the fruit that it bears? Then he uses another. He says, what about a shepherd? Or who attends a flock? Does, does not drink of the milk of the flock? What shepherd sits there and takes care of the sheep 
protects them from wolves, makes sure they go from green pasture to green pasture, feeds them, to, provides for them, and not partake of the, of the benefits, the milk of the flock. Yes, I have the right. Who I have spiritually have poured in and poured in and poured in, Paul says. Yes, I have the right to be able to receive from the flock or from the people I'm preaching to to receive the, the financial support. But I choose not to for the sake of others. Because I don't want to be blamed that I'm just receiving money for the sake of self-gain. He continues in verse 8 and he gives us another third confirmation. And he uses the actual Old Testament law to confirm why it's okay for him to receive. He says right here, do I say these things as a mere man? Do I, leaning on my own understanding? No, 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 I'm not leaning on my own understanding here. Or does not the law say the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it, is it oxen God, is it oxen God is concerned about? Or does he say it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt. This is written, that he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes in hope should be partaker of his hope. So he brings the Old Testament into clarity. Okay, I have the apostleship authority. I know I can receive finances from you. I understand that. I have common sense. If you look at just common sense, it makes sense. You understand it's common sense. I, I can receive the finance support from you. But now let me go back to the Old Testament law. You're not under the law. You're under grace now. But let's go back to the Old Testament law, and I'll show you that even in the law, and he quotes Deuteronomy 25.4 to make his point. He even used that exact same verse in 1 Timothy 5, verses 17 and 18, when he was talking and teaching to Timothy and telling Timothy and encouraging him that they're encouraging the church to pay their ministers adequately. Why did that have to happen? Because the people in the church, for some reason, think that the people there should live at some substandard living and some poverty-stricken living and in something that's below the average of what the people in the church is. He doesn't say that. He's supposed to, he even encouraged Timothy, make sure you teach the church to provide enough money for ministers that it's adequate for them to provide for themselves and their family. That's the right thing to do. That is scriptural. But he uses this, this, this verse out of Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 4, to give a practicality of what the Old Testament says. If, back in these days, when they needed to get the, the corn off the husk or the, to break that husk up, to get that uh, kernels, the grain off, those kinds of things, they would hook that oxen up into the grain mill and the misk mill, and when they would walk them around. And as they trampled around, this stone would then crush the, 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 the fruit up or the... the, the yeah, the, the, the husk, the corn, so they can get it free to be able to take that to, to use for farming. But the Old Testament says you, sh you shouldn't mistreat your animals. 
You know, it's not right for you to take that oxen, hook them up, start laboring and hour after hour and put a, a, a covering over the mouth so that they can't eat some of the food as they're working and laboring. They can't eat. They're sitting there looking down and can smell it. They can hear it and they see it in front of them, but they can't, they can't eat it. That's, that's inhumane to the, the, to the animals. That's not right. That's mistreating animals. So why would you do that to someone who is pouring into your life hour after hour, day after day, year after year, month after day, and you don't, you put a muzzle on them. You can't, they can't partake of the, the fruit that comes from that ministry. It wouldn't be right. It's not good. We find that it's almost somewhat clear as we, we rolled out the radio station. We know that your first priority is to give to the church where you're being fed. But so many people today go out and listen to other teachers and they're being fed by other teachers like a radio. And those ministries minister to you, a particular person. If God leads your heart, you, you should give an offering to that one of those teachers on our radio station who's, who, who's laboring and is, is blessing you and, and feeding you, don't feel, 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 have the freedom to be able, as the Lord leads, to send a message to them and say, I'm at least praying for you in your ministry. You've been a blessing to me listening to the radio here at 96.9 FM, The Way. That it, to give to the ministry who, who's running that ministry. And we know eventually people are being blessed. They'll start giving to, through some kind of offering to the church here, to the radio station, for, because they're going to be blessed. That's what he's saying here. As someone is out there laboring, as an ox is laboring, don't muzzle the ox. And the reason why is in verse 10 he says, because those who are out there time after time faithfully pouring and working and laboring, eventually as they plow, shouldn't they, as they plow, have the hope to be able to partake of the grain, the, the, the corn that they've been working hard to produce for everybody. Isn't it right for them to be able to partake? He who threshes in hope should be partaker of his hope? Of course. That's what Paul is saying here to them. It's much more than just how you treat your animal. But God is establishing the principle that a minister has the right to be supported by the people he is ministering to. But then Paul moves on in verse 11. He says, if we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if, he, if we reap your material things? So the fourth confirmation here is based on a present custom. He says, Paul makes it very plain that it is right for the spiritual work of God's ministers to be repaid for the material support of the people they minister unto. So one who's out there plowing, away in the ministry and doing a good work and is faithful and a hard work to serve and to minister, it isn't that the spiritual things that he's pouring out, isn't it, shouldn't he reap what he sows? It's a law that you cannot get around, right? If you, what you reap, you should sow. So if he's out there reaping good, it's only a matter of time that the, the material uh, things or the financial support will return in uh, as a present custom, because it was already happening 
uh, in the churches. It wasn't something, this is new teaching that he was giving them and trying to encourage them to do something they've never done before. They, they could read it in the Old Testament. It's now a present custom in, in, the, in the ministries there. It just wasn't happening for Paul and Barnabas because they chose freely not to partake of it because he, they gave up that right for a present time because they did not want it to stumble others. In verse 12, if others are partakers of this right over you, meaning you're already given to others, are we not even more? Nevertheless, key word, transition, circle it. Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. So he makes it very clear in verse 12 why they do not partake or receive financial support. It wasn't that the Corinthian Christians weren't already were providing support to others in the ministry. But the problem was with the Corinthian Christians was they refused to support Paul and thought less of him because he did not receive it. Here we see Paul's real heart. Paid or not paid is the question. But paid or not paid doesn't determine if he's going to be faithful in teaching the word or not. He says, paid or not paid, I'm faithfully doing what God's called me to do. To pour into you, to do what God's commissioned me to do, what he has set me out to do. And that is to reach the lost and to disciple the believers. To encourage them in the faith through the word of God. And so regardless if you pay me or regardless if I accept it or not accept it, it does not change my mission. It doesn't change my purpose in my life, my identity, and what God has called me to do. I'm going to do it. It's not a matter of him and what he wants or doesn't want. What mattered was the work of the gospel. It was more effective for the gospel if Paul should receive the support. That's a big question here. In his mind, he knew that if I received that support from the churches, that it was going to hinder the gospel in and around where he was trying to do the work. We experienced that here. We've only been six years. We were in a Ramada. And I remember it today when God started just faithfully starting people coming and sitting and coming to the Ramada and sitting. And we would go to this um, Sunday afternoon in the summer in the park kind of concerts in Sackett's Harbor. And these ladies, because in the beginning it was like, uh, oh, what was the, it's like the... Uh, refugees, right? All these women were starting to come with their children, but there was no men. And I, this is really weird. Why are women coming to the church and where's the men? They're just women and children. What's happened? Come to find out all these women that God were bringing with their children, all the men were at war. So all the, only the women were here, the children. So afterwards, we would go to the park and we'd sit and they would pepper me with questions. Well, what is Calvary Chapel? And what, is their, what do they think about this? And what about this? And they were going on and on. And finally, after a few weeks, um, the ladies started coming back and going, you know, Pastor, can we ask you a question? Yeah, ask me any question. It doesn't matter. Well, you know, the ministry we kind of come from, they, they think you're just, you're just doing it. You're temporary. You're just taking our money, and you're, and you're going to run. Really? I said, well, what did you tell them? We told them, no, we, we've kind of gotten to know you. We don't think you're that kind of a person who would just take our money and run. 
But they think because you're in a hotel and because you're, they don't know what Calvary Chapel is and you're in this non-denomination and they're telling you don't have this and you don't have this and they can't figure and you can't find where you got your doctrines and all these other things. They go, oh, we heard it all in the beginning. And I'm, we're looking at the scripture. We're like, we're living out the scriptures here. I cannot believe the church body in this community is coming against us. But then we realize, why would we be any different than what Paul is experiencing? I said, will you go back and you let them know that we've never taken one penny from the ministry ever since we've been here? And then you come back and let me know how the response is. Never heard a word again anywhere in the community about us taking your money and then somehow running. And we're here six years later and the Lord continues to do a great work. So Paul, I understand exactly what Paul was saying. It was better for us not to take a dime so that there are all these faults, these accusations would not hinder us being able to minister to those who God was bringing in front of us in that Ramada or here today. That we'll continue to do regardless if we get money or not. We're going to pour everything back into the kingdom of God in the ministry because that is what God has called me to do. That is it. It is as simple as that Paul is saying to them. Paul was willing to deny himself such an important right for the good of the gospel and, and for the Corinthian Christians themselves. Because he was trying to teach them. I have the right to receive the finances. But I've been asking you, it, do not eat the meat from that idol, from that idled worship. For the sake of not stumbling a brother or sister. They're weak. They don't understand their liberties. So please don't take, become a vegetarian right now. Just for the sake of not stumbling them. And just give up your right, your freedom. Even though you know you have the freedom to do it. And he models that as an example to the people. I am giving up my right to take any financial support for the sake of the gospel. Because there are some people out there, some Christians out there that are weak and they just do not understand. And so we'll forsake for the benefit for them. In verse 13, we see the fifth confirmation. Do you not know that those who minister to, minister the whole things eat of the things of the temple, and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar? So here he brings to light Numbers chapter 18. That in the Old Testament practices, here we know that the priests and the Levites always partake of a portion of the sacrifice brought to the altar. So he's not asking and doing anything out of the ordinary here. That can, it was done in the Old Testament and can be done today. People can receive from what was being offered at the altar. And then he continues on a sixth confirmation, which is Jesus' commandment. In verse 14, he says, Even so the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. So even Jesus himself taught that it was a commandment that those who preach, those who are teaching, those who are feeding and spiritually feeding into the flock are to receive from the ministry. It's not a bad thing. It's just a good thing. But he has the right and the ability to not receive for those sake of those who uh, might be stumbled by it. But the Lord commanded. 
So it is good. It's right. We see it in Matthew 10.10. For a worker is worthy of his food. Luke 10.8. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things are set before you. So you're going to receive, and this is good, and it's right. And so as Paul outlines these confirmations, we see today how important it is that, yes, he has this right, but he's choosing to withhold or to not partake for the sake of the ministry and spreading of the gospel. He has that freedom to do that. And so as he comes, and obviously these Corinthian Christians had a problem with it, and so he will see today the first part of it where he lays out the confirmation, his defense of why his position. Next week we'll see he will now take the other look at the other side of the coin and bring it to light in the remaining of chapter 9.